Well, you know, we are tonight, we're going to continue uh, Pastor Sam's series on uh, shift. You know, that's been our whole theme for January, this idea that we're, you know, we're changing. We're well, uh, What's his catchphrase? Preparing our ways for better days. And um, we're going to continue that tonight. Um, so when I was praying about all of this, um, you know, immediately the, the, the thing that, that always or that jumps into uh, my mind, and I'm, I'm sure, you know, when you all start to think about change, you think of like big, bold changes, right? Like game changers, something that's just going to completely change the whole thing. So I'm thinking, I'm reading through scripture, and I'm like, all right, what are we going to talk about? What, what, let's talk about a game changer. Let's see what we can talk about tonight that's going to just completely change the way and uh, that, that we think and that we do our, you know, that we do church or that we do our, our life. And so, so I was thinking and, and debating and, and I immediately, um, thought of sports. Any, any sports fans in here? Football, maybe? Uh, I'm a big football fan. Big football. I'm a bigger hockey fan, but I guarantee we don't have any hockey fans here, right? One hockey fan? Yes! I knew I liked you, Mistia. Uh, so I, I figured we didn't have a lot of hockey fans, so we're going to go with football. Is that all right? So football, you know, um, there's this thing in football that we talk about. Uh, it's called momentum. You guys are familiar with the term momentum. And specifically in football games, when a team starts, they're just rolling. You know, they whether it's a, a big play or uh, the offense is just clicking, and they start building momentum, and you can tell. You can tell when you're watching a game when a team has the momentum, right? If you've ever watched a football game, you just know, like, these guys are going. Well, sometimes that momentum can shift, right? And, and it can be in, a, in an instant. That big momentum, that team, you know, they're up two touchdowns. They're not letting anything up on defense. The offense is just rolling along. And then all of a sudden, it's just something can there's a, a change just as quick as that, and it can completely shift the momentum. What do we call those? We call those game changers, right? We Something that completely just changes the game. It's a huge instant, uh, moment in time instant where, where the, you know, one team's doing well, and then immediately the other team just kind of kicks it into another gear, and the game changes. But did anybody uh, catch that, uh, the college national championship game the other week, Alabama-Clemson? Well, there was one play in the uh, in the Alabama Clemson game, and I, I I will admit I was not rooting for the Tide. I'm sorry if there's any Alabama fans out there. I I I was I was really hoping Clemson would would pull it out. But as you see up on the screen, okay. So little backstory of this moment in time. Clemson had pretty much been controlling the game up until this point. Alabama had been hanging in there. They had a couple big plays. But for the most part, if you were watching the game, you could tell, like, Clemson, they've got this. They they were in the driver's seat. Well, as you can see, it was tied 24-24. And, Ike, if you'll go ahead and roll that video, we'll see what happens next. Alabama just scored a touchdown, so they're about to kick off. There's no video. Oh, oh, did it not go with a thing? It may not have transferred. Okay, well, then these next five minutes are going to be really boring. So, um, what I'll, I'm going to I'm going to walk you through it. Okay, play by play. I've always wanted to be a play by play announcer. Let's see how it is. So, Alabama has just scored a touchdown, and they're about to kick off the ball. Okay, and so they're lined up in a normal kickoff formation, and they go to kick the ball. But instead of a huge, deep kick down into the end zone, 
if anyone was watching the game, what'd they do? They kicked an onside kick, which for those of us who may not know the football vernacular, that means all they have to do is kick the ball 10 yards, and then their team can recover it to go back on offense. So Alabama, out of nowhere, completely catches everybody off guard. I mean, there's, what, 10 minutes left in the fourth quarter. No one kicks an onside kick without much time left. It just doesn't happen. Well, Alabama does. So they kick this onside kick, and they recover it. And it's, it was beautiful. It looked just like a little touch pass. The kicker kicks it. The guy just kind of runs under it, catches it, and runs out of bounds. Alabama's ball. And from that moment on, Alabama was in the driver's seat. They just ran the ball down Clemson's throat for the whole rest of the game. Derrick Henry, Heisman winner. It was just, it was ugly from that. I mean, they just, and right there, I mean, it's the fourth quarter. So it's the end of the game. Alabama does one play, one huge game changer, and the whole game was different, right? And so I was thinking, okay, well, what are some other things? I was thinking of the Alabama game. Then I was thinking of my beloved Steelers. Oh, this was painful. And again, I apologize. There's no video. Uh, it didn't transfer when I sent my thing. But so let's set up this play. As you can see, Pittsburgh is up 13 to 12. Just about the same amount of time left in the game, right? They're they're up. And if this this particular drive, Steelers are in white, Broncos are in orange. The Steelers, up until this point, um, they had been driving the ball. They were just moving down the field like clockwork. You you just had a feeling watching this game that okay, this is going to be the the winning drive. The Steelers are going to score here. They're going to shut Denver down like they had been all night, and and that's going to be the game, right? Wrong, unfortunately. Oh, oh, unfortunately. Ten minutes left in the game. It's just a nice little, well, what happens, Ben Roethlisberger, Big Ben, the pride of Pittsburgh, he snaps the ball, hands it to Fitzgerald Toussaint. He's the running back uh, on the top, to just to the top of, of Ben up there. And uh, he's a Michigan man. I, by the way, I'm a, I'm a, any Michigan college sports fans out there? Yeah, I didn't think so. I love Michigan. And and Fitz Toussaint, he was a Michigan man. So we like Fitz in the Searles household, right, honey? Woo! Yeah. <laughs> so anyway, so Ben snaps the ball, he hands it to Fitzgerald Toussaint, and he comes around the corner and he's he's ba- pretty much gone. Even there's not very many people in front of him. Easy first down. Except the, the one defender just comes in real quickly and, and doesn't even tackle him, just puts a hand out there, and the ball goes flying. Fumble, Denver recovers, and from that moment on, the, I mean, that was the nail in the coffin. Denver drove down, they scored, and they did not take their foot off the, the gas. Uh, the, the Steelers tried, they tried, they tried, they tried, they drove down, ended up losing by a touchdown. But, so... You know, that quickly, something can change, right? That you think it is in the bag. And then in a moment, this huge play, this big old game changer just comes in and messes stuff up, right? Or if you're on the winning team, really works out really well. Um, but, and, and you know, momentum swings can be awesome. Game changers can be awesome. But they don't happen every day. It's not something, you know, that we just happen to have some really, really good football games lately. But most of the time, 
90% of the time, football games don't end that way. They don't go down to, to the last play, right? They, they, one team is up and that's just how it goes. They're usually running off the clock. You know, two minutes left, they're kneeling the ball just to get out of there because they, you know, everyone knows the game's over. And so game changers aren't really easy to come by. They, they don't, they don't happen in sports very often and they don't happen in life very often. Am I right? Um, you know, um, they can, they don't happen all the time. And so it, it would be one thing for me to sit up here and talk to you tonight about how a big change in your life can completely swing the momentum. And it, it's a feel good message. You know, we'll, we might shout a little bit. We'll cheer, you know, yeah, we're just waiting for that big play. But really, it doesn't happen all the time. Very rarely does, it, at least, I mean, I'm, I'm not, I'm 26 years old, so I've not lived a super long time, but I've not had very many game changers happen in my life, really. Um, I don't know about y'all, but, but for me, it doesn't really come very often. And so as I was thinking about this idea of a, of a game changer, I started to think, you know, maybe this isn't the way to go. Maybe, maybe we should make something a little bit more, uh, applicable to our lives, something that, that we can actually do. So instead of talking to you tonight about the game changer, I want to talk to you just about a small change and what, and what I'm going to call tonight small change in trajectory. All right? So we're just talking talk about small changes. I, I uh, for a while, little known fact, uh, for a while I really wanted to be a uh, fighter pilot. I wanted to go to the Air Force and I wanted to be a fighter pilot. I was the perfect size because you know those cockpits are real small, so they need shorter, shorter guys. And I like the the Air Force like came to my school and they set up the pull up bar, and I got up there. And back then I was actually in shape, and I did you know I rocked out like twenty pull ups, and I was like, yeah, these guys were talking to me. Oh, you'd be perfect. You should come out. You know, go to we'll pay for your college, blah blah blah, and all this stuff. And I was going to go into the Air Force because I wanted to be a fighter pilot. That's what I wanted to do. And then I found out that um, you can't go if you're colorblind. And I, or you can't be a fighter pilot if you're colorblind. And I have color, I'm not colorblind, I'm color deficient, I guess. It's not full on. I mean, I can see colors, but sometimes some are hard to tell. But it's enough that my dreams were crushed, <laughs> basically. But, but so in the, in the interim, I was, you know, reading up on everything that I could about uh, planes and how I felt. Even in college, I went and took in hopes that maybe a surgery would happen one day that could fix my colorblindness. I took a, a math class that was called the Math of Powered Flight. And it was a trig course where you go in and it talks about the intricacies of flight patterns and, and all this stuff. And um, one of the things that we learned is that um, a change in your, in your trajectory, even a slight one, can change your destination in a huge, huge way. If you look up on the screen, there's a, uh, this graph over here. This little circle, it's a, it's a, it's a pie graph, and it shows you, you know, there's a 90 degree angle there. We all, we all know, we're familiar with 90 degrees, right? Well, that little itty bitty red sliver off to the right, that's one degree. So take that 90, divide it by 90, you get one, one degree, or you take the whole circle. One degree. Okay, let's just say, we, we're up in, up in the air, we're flying an airplane, and we were to change our traje trajectory, that's a really hard word to say apparently, um, just by one single degree. If you were to change your, your course by one degree, you would change your target landing spot by over 92 feet for every one mile that you travel. 
Okay, so you if you change your just angle ninety or one degree to the right, after a mile, you'd be ninety-two feet away from where you were go- going to land. Now, if you uh, that amounts to about one mile for every sixty miles that you travel. Okay, so for every sixty miles forward along that your along your path. If your directory, your trajectory is changed just by one degree, you'll move to the right 60 or one mile. You'll be one mile off of where you were heading. Okay. So let's put that into, uh, something a little bit more feasible for us. So let's, let's say, uh, the average person every year walks approximately, and I, I found these numbers online, so I don't know if they're true, but they work really well for what I'm trying to say. So, uh, every person per year walks about 1,300 miles, a little over, almost 1,400 miles in a year uh, on average. And the way they find that is they see how much you walk over your lifetime, they divided it for the average life expectancy, yada, yada. Anyways, so in one year, we walk a little under 1,400 miles on average. So at 60 miles, we, you know, 60 miles forward, out of our 1,400 miles a year, we get 22 miles away from your original destination. So what am I trying to say? If you are walking a direction, if you're going a direction in your life, and you make one small change, one degree of a change, so minuscule you almost can't even tell at first, one tiny change at the end of a year, you could be 22 miles away from where you were headed. Okay? Let's take that over a lifetime. Over an 80-year lifespan, the average person walks over 110,000 miles in their life. This is, these are what the internet says. Oh, Google. And so in a lifetime, if you walk 110,000 miles in a lifetime, 1,833 miles, you will, be, you will have veered away from where you were headed. Okay? Let's put that in... Let's, let, yeah, we'll bring it on down, and we'll bring it on down to our into a spiritual lesson here. One slight change in where you're going, you're in a rut. You're having a rough time. Your your kids are are off the reservation, or or your finances are are a mess, or just spiritually, you're you know that you're not where you should be. It doesn't require a game changer to change your life. It you do not have to have some miraculous crazy circus catch in the end zone in order to change your life. A a shift of one degree, a tiniest little bit can set you off on a completely different path that after a while, your life will be different. It doesn't take some huge, um, I mean, now big changes happen. I'm not trying to downplay big changes. Awesome game changers, momentum swings, those are awesome. And how many know God can do it? God can absolutely create a momentum swing in our lives. But sometimes, you know, God gives us the ability to change things in our own circumstances. So he doesn't necessarily have to intervene, right? He, he, likes, he likes to give us some freedom. He likes to partner with us. And he gives us the freedom to make our own choices. And if you're a parent, you know, my, we, I don't have kids, but I have dogs. Um, and I love my dogs. I love my dogs. And when they make good choices it really makes me happy. You know, like when I'm playing fetch with them and like they actually bring the, the the ball back to me, I'm really happy. 
Like, it may, it, do I get angry at them when they don't, when they just run and get the ball, chew on a little bit, and drop down? No, I don't get angry at them. I mean, they're dogs. What are you going to do? But I get really excited, and I'm, like, pumped that, man, you, good job. You know, you made a great decision by bringing that back. Or when they don't get on the couch when we're away, or when they don't get in the garbage. I get really excited, that you know, for my dogs, right? How much more would our Father in Heaven get excited about us making good decisions in our lives, right? If you have kids and you see them making good decisions in their life, I assume you're excited. It's awesome. And and yeah, we can, you know, as, as parents, when they're young, we like to draw boundaries for our kids and, and we, we keep them, at, you know, at arm's length just so we can raise them and help them along their way. But eventually you have to, you know, you have to give, let your kids go. You, you, you have to, what do they say? Cut the cord, right? You, you have to let them make their own decisions. And when they make good decisions, I assume you get, you get pretty happy, right? Parents, when you get excited when your kids make good decisions. Now, do you get mad at them and want to spank them every time they make, every time they make a bad decision? Not, not always, but, but it, it, it's sad, right? You kind of, you wish they wouldn't. Um, so, our Father, I say all that to say, hold on, I need a drink here. Thank you, Jeremy. Our Father in heaven, he can absolutely change our circumstance in a moment. He can have the, that big onside kick, figuratively speaking. But it doesn't require that. A lot of times God gives us the opportunities and equips us to make small choices, small decisions, small changes in our life that can have a huge effect in the long run, right? What are some small changes we can make? Reading our Bible every day. Waking up 15 minutes early and reading, a, reading one chapter in our Bible. One chapter can make a world of difference when you do it every single day. There's a, I, was, I used to be a teacher, and um, we were in a staff meeting one time, and my principal was telling us that she read in this this magazine. It was like Fortune 500 magazine or something like that. Anyway, she she was reading the statistic, and it said that if if you read one hour a day in your field of of study or your field of of con- your your concentration, whatever it is, whether it's where you work or or what you're studying or whatever. If you read in that field one hour a day for six years, six years, one hour a day, you will become a, uh, you will become international, what's, what, what's the word, phrase I'm looking for? Um, you, you'll become one of the best. You become a, a wor- across the world, internationally renowned. You'll become an expert. That's the word, expert. I couldn't think of it. You'll become an international expert in that field. One hour a day for just six years. Now, six years is a long time. I'm not downplaying, but we're not talking you're going to school and studying 40 hours a week. We're talking one hour a day over six years. You will become an international expert in that field. Imagine if we as Christians read our Bibles one hour a day. One hour a day. How much more equipped would we be to reach the world for Christ? Just one hour. And I know, you know, we, we think, 
oh, but I'm just so busy. There's 24 hours in a day. I'm sure you can find time. We all can find time. There's stuff that we do. I understand we, you know, we work. We have family time. Maybe we exercise. Maybe we, we read. Maybe, maybe our job takes a little bit more time than others. You know, maybe we work 12 hour shifts instead of other. Well, you've got, we've all got time. We can find, everyone can find time. To, I'm not saying you can find an hour, but everybody can find time to read their Bible. And that little change, that small shift, one hour a day after six years will make you an expert. There will be maybe five people in the world that are better at that topic than you. That's a, that's a, that's a small change in trajectory, right? That's a one degree change, just taking a little bit of time every day to read in the scriptures. Or maybe it's prayer time, taking time out, out of our day to, to really pray, whether that's on your way to work, or whether that's, like I said, getting up a little bit earlier, staying up a little bit later, and just getting alone with God. These are not game changers, guys. These aren't huge, miraculous things that we have to do. This is basic. This is fundamentals, right? Praying and reading our Bible, that's as basic as it gets. But that little bit of change can make a humongous difference in your life. When I was younger, um, I... I there was a time in my life where I was a little bit of a wild child. I, you know, I grew up in church, loved the Lord, and then I kind of got a, a little bit away around college. I, I decided that I wanted to kind of try my own path, and um, and that happens to a lot of kids. And and I, you know, I was away for a while, but then the Lord, praise, grace be to, or glory be to God, by His grace, He brought me back, and I, I recommitted my life to the Lord. But but up until that point, when I, I was 19 years old, when He when He called me back. And up until that point in my life, I had never had a regular quiet time with the Lord. I had never in my life. Now, I read my Bible every once in a while, and I would pray when I got in trouble. You know, I, I would do all those things, right? But I didn't have a regular, consistent, quiet time with the Lord. And that was one thing that I was very convicted of when I came back is, you know, I, I need to spend time in the Word. I need to learn this. I don't need to just learn facts about the Word. I need to learn the Word. You know, I could beat any, you know, being a, being a PK, a pastor's kid, pastor's grandkid, I could beat anybody in Bible trivia. Any, any, anybody you want, old, young, whoever, I could, I could beat you. I promise I could beat you. But I didn't know the Word. I knew about the Word, but I didn't know the Word. You know, David said that I have hidden your Word in my heart that I might not sin against you. I hadn't hidden it in my heart. I didn't have it memorized. I couldn't quote scripture to you. I didn't get, the, I, I knew the, 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 the words, but I didn't know the word. You, you know what I'm saying? And so I committed to read my Bible and, and I started small. I started two chapters, one in the old, one in the new, every single day. And I would, I would read and I'd journal along with it. I, even if it was just like, Okay, Lord, I didn't really get anything today, but I know there's something in there, so maybe next time. Like that, I mean, I, it's something as simple as that, but I made sure that I went one in the old, one in the new, and I journaled. And you know what I started to notice? I was becoming a different person. You know, the Lord, I had one of those game changer moments. I was sitting on the back row in church when I was home from, I was home on break from college, and sitting on the back row during an altar call with my arms crossed and my pastor's wife called me out in the middle of church, in the middle of everybody, called me up to the front and just started speaking into my, started prophesying over me, telling me, you know, 
you're not where you're supposed to be. You're not who you're supposed to be with. You're not doing what you're supposed to do. But you know that already. You don't need me to tell you that. So just fix it. That's, that's, that's basically what she said in a nutshell. That was a game changer for me. For, like, in an instant, my whole mind was shifted. My paradigm had shifted from doing my own thing to doing the Lord's thing. But you know, I still had some remnants from my, from my old life. I, I was very impatient. I, I, I very impatient. I, I, I would, I would let the, the smallest thing just explode and I'd lose my temper in a moment. I was not very, very kind to people. I did not have the fruits of the spirit born in my life. Plain and simple, because I didn't have the spirit in me. I was, I was living like the devil. And so I didn't have those things. But when I started reading, I set aside that time every single day. It was right before bed. I, I was not about to get up early. I, I'm not, I, I had 8 a.m. classes and I lived 20 minutes away from college. I was not going to get up any earlier than I had to. But I would just stay up a little bit later every night before bed. I'd sit on my bed at the edge of my bed and I'd get on my Bible and I'd read one chapter in the Old Testament, one chapter in the New Testament, and I would journal alongside. And after just a few weeks of that, I would notice that, you know, I was like really patient with people. I didn't get upset when they were bad drivers. Because, you know, I, I came from, from up north, Pennsylvania, and, and I'm not saying they're the best drivers in the world, but when you're in the mountains and you're curving and it's icy, you, you just, you learn to drive safe. And so people, there's a lot of safe drivers up there, and that's what I was used to. And then you come down to Texas when everything's straight and flat, and you don't even have to take a driver's test to get your license, and you just, like, it blew my mind and I would get so angry at these big old trucks that would just swerve in and out of traffic and I'm trying to drive and what are you doing? And I would get so upset. And then I realized, hey, that guy just cut me off and I am not wanting to flip him the bird. Like that's really good for me, you know? And, and I realized, oh, am I supposed to say that in church? Um, I'm sorry. Um, but really, I, that was me. That was, that was my first reaction. And I noticed after a few weeks, I was a lot more patient. I was very, very loving to the people around me. I had peace. I had not had peace in my life for years. Years. And I know I was young and, you know, what do teenagers have to worry about? I don't even know what I was worried about, but I did not have peace in my life. But I realized after changing that one small thing, after just a few weeks, my whole life had changed. And I don't mean my circumstances, I mean me. I had changed that one small thing. It was not, it did not take long. I'm a pretty quick reader. 10, 15 minutes, 20 minutes max if I got to writing a lot. It wasn't a huge game changer. It was just one small, tiny thing in my day that I changed. And after a while, after time, I was 22 miles away from where I was going, right? Literally, eventually, I literally, I moved halfway across the country. The Lord picked me up and moved me. That's a game changer. But that didn't affect me as much as reading my Bible every single day. In the long run, these small incremental changes, one small thing, it doesn't, changing your life and changing your circumstances does not require a game changer every single time. It doesn't. Sometimes it does. For me, it did. I needed that game changer. And God stepped up in a big way. But when I started changing the small things, 
starting with the small things, just the, the everyday fundamentals, my life completely changed. Amen? Well, enough about me. Let's see what the Word has to say. Let's open up to Acts chapter 16. Acts chapter 16, and we're going to start in verse 16. I'm just going to read straight through here, and I'm reading out of the New Living Translation, so it might sound a little bit different than uh, if you're a New King Jameser. This one's a little bit more poetic, uh, so and a little bit more everyday talk, so I apologize. But here we are in verse 16. One day, as we were going down to the place of prayer, we met a demon-possessed slave girl. She was a fortune teller who earned a lot of money for her masters. She followed Paul and the rest of us shouting, These men are servants of the Most High God, and they have come to tell you how to be saved. This went on day after day until Paul got so exasperated, that's a cool word, got so exasperated that he turned and said to the demon within her, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And instantly it left her. That was a game changer right there, right? That... That was a huge shift in momentum. This girl who was bound by demons, in a moment, God stepped in and changed her game. That's a game changer, but that's not what we're talking about, is it? Verse 19, her master's hopes of wealth were now shattered, so they grabbed Paul and Silas and dragged them before the authorities at the marketplace. The whole city is in an uproar because of these Jews, they shouted to the city officials. They are teaching customs that are illegal for us Romans to practice. Verse 22, A mob quickly formed against Paul and Silas, and the city officials ordered them stripped and beaten with wooden rods, and they were severely beaten, and then they were thrown into prison. The jailer was ordered to make sure they didn't escape, so the jailer put them in the inner dungeon and clamped their feet in stocks. Around midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners were listening. Suddenly, there was a massive earthquake, and the prison was shaken to its foundations, and all the doors immediately flew open and the chains of every prisoner fell off. The jailer woke up to see the prison doors wide open and he assumed the prisoners had escaped so he drew his sword to kill himself. Verse 28, but Paul shouted to him, stop, don't kill yourself, we are all here. The jailer called for the lights and ran to the dungeon and fell down trembling before Paul and Silas. Then he brought them out and asked, sirs, what must I do to be saved? Then they replied, Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, along with everyone in your household. And they shared the word of the Lord with him and all who lived in his household. Even at that hour of the night, the jailer cared for them and washed their wounds. Then he and everyone in his household were immediately baptized. He brought them into his house and set a meal before them. And he as an entire household rejoiced because they all believed in God. Amen. Thank you, Jesus, for your word. Guys, Paul and Silas, these are big, important figures in Scripture. Paul wrote two-thirds of the books of the Old Testament, or the New Testament, I apologize, right? This 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 is an important, important guy, and he went through some bad stuff in his life, right? If you read any of his letters, he he had a tough time. He, he, you know, whatever this thorn in his side was, a thorn in his flesh, lots of theologians have lots of different opinions on what it was, but we can all agree that it was annoying, whatever it was. Paul went through some rough stuff, and here he is. He's trying to preach the gospel, trying to reach uh, the continent of Europe right now. They're in, they're in the Macedonia area. They're trying to reach... This, this is the first time the gospel's ever been preached on this continent, to our knowledge. And he is going, and what, what happens? This girl shows up, 
gets on his nerves. He becomes exasperated, as the NLT puts it, and he casts the demon out. And then what happens? He gets thrown, he not, not just gets thrown into prison, but get police brutality, right? He gets beaten, stripped naked, beaten, and thrown in jail. By all accounts, Paul has every reason to be upset. Paul has every reason to have a pity party. Paul has every reason to sit in that jail cell with his buddy Silas and just weep, cry, and have a, just have a big old pity party for Paul, right? He has every reason to. And I am pretty positive I would have done just that if that were me. How many, are you guys are with me at all? Probably if I just got beaten and I'm sitting in a jail cell, I'm most likely going to be crying. I, <laughs> I'm going to be honest. I, am, I, I, I have no problem saying that I would be weeping at that moment. I'm, Mommy, you know, send me home. I don't want to be here. I'm cold. I'm wet. I'm bleeding. I'm bruised. I don't have my chapstick, and I need my chapstick. Ask my wife. I need my chapstick. And I would be a mess. And Paul, what does Paul do? He pulls a Samson and breaks the jail down, right? He puts his hands up again, and he, just, he has a game changer, right? Is that what he does? Does he, does he, does he call down angels and have them come in? Does he, he, he wire his buddies across the, the, across the town and have them break him out of prison? No. Paul doesn't look for a game changer, does he? What does he do? He sings a song. Verse 25. And around midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners were listening. Paul is literally bloody and in prison. And what does he do? He changes his trajectory by one degree and just starts singing. He looks over at Silas or Silas looks over at him. I don't know who started it. And they just start singing and they're worshiping and they're lifting their voices in the darkest, one of the darkest hours of your life. I've never been to prison, but I can imagine it's pretty depressing one of the darkest hours of his life. He's just been beaten, he's naked, and he's in prison. And what does he do? He changes his trajectory. He doesn't do what most of us would do, right? Most of us, we'd probably be having a pity party at that point, begging for my phone call, even though phones didn't exist back then. Um, and we'd be sitting there whining and complaining, but Paul and Silas, they don't do that. They give us a perfect example of what it means to make a small change of trajectory. They start worshiping, they start praising, and what happens? God takes care of the rest. The ground starts shaking, the chains fall off, and, and, and that, that's awesome. Yeah, that's, they, they got free from prison. That's, that's, that's great. And sometimes we focus so much on the chains falling off that we miss the big point. These are the first people to come to Christ in the nation of Europe right here, on the continent of Europe right here. This guard who was about to commit suicide because of what just happened, he went from committing suicide to coming to know eternal life with Christ in a matter of moments because two guys decided, I'm not going to cry, I'm going to sing. I'm going to change my trajectory just a little bit. Yes, they got free from prison. That's awesome. God did a game-changing moment right there. 
But even more importantly, because Paul and Silas refused to be normal, right? They refused to be normal and cry like I would have. And they changed their trajectory by one degree. Small change started singing and worshiping the Lord. And this man and his whole house are now in heaven because of Paul and Silas. Is that's not something to get excited about? I don't know what is. One change in trajectory, yes, it can change your life like it did mine. Reading my Bible every single day changed who I was. But how much greater would it be if not only did you get out of your mess, but you got other people out of their mess? Amen? Right? One change, one small change can literally impact a whole continent. These are the first people in the continent of Europe, to our knowledge, that heard and accepted the gospel. And now, look at it. I mean, look look at where we are now. Look what, what Paul's life became. Paul was a great man. Paul had a game-changing moment on the road to Damascus. But it wasn't the game-changing moment that got this jailer saved. It was the small, incremental change that he made in his own life. Amen? And the last little thing I just want to point out, uh, step back one verse to verse 24. So, so the jailer put them in the inner dungeon and clamped their feet in stocks. Now, I can't take credit for this next point. I, I, I heard it in a podcast, but it, it, he was talking about something completely different, but he brought up this point using the same story, and I, I just, I, I, I have to talk about it. I can't, I would not be able to go to sleep tonight if I did not bring up this point. And this is not mine. This is Stephen Furtick all the way. Notice it says that he put them in the inner dungeon and clamped their feet in stock. Stephen says that one thing that he did guaranteed that they would stay. And one thing that he did guaranteed that they would leave. The one thing he did that he guaranteed to stay was keeping their, locking those feet in the stocks. He was, you guys are not going anywhere. You're, you're locked down here. But he made one mistake in what he did, and he put them in, and I believe the version that Stephen read out of it says that he put them in the inner cell, not cells. He didn't separate them. He put two people, two believers, two people filled with the glory of Christ together in one cell And because their worship, what does the Bible say? When two or three are gathered together, there I am in the midst. Look around you. If you're not doing life with the people around you, you're you're not gonna, nothing's gonna change. You, You can make these small incremental changes. Paul and Silas could have sung in their own cells and maybe, maybe the same thing would have happened, but maybe not. Maybe not. There's something about when brothers and sisters in Christ come together that God hears and God responds. So the people in this room, you're not just people that you go to church with. These are your brothers and sisters. These are your world changers. These are the people that are going to help you change your life. And please hear me. I'm not saying God can't do it. God can. God can take care of all of our problems without us doing a single thing. Absolutely. But sometimes he doesn't like to do that. Sometimes God likes us to do our own thing because it shows him how much we love him and how much we want him and how much we want to see our lives change and how much we want to see the world change. 
So he supplies us with opportunities to make the right decisions. And the people sitting next to you in this room, the people that you sit next to on Sunday mornings, guys, those are the people that we have to join with. Paul talks about do not forsake the gathering of the brethren. And we always use that as a support for why you should go to church. But it's so much more than that. If we all come to church every Sunday and sit there and don't talk to each other and see each other, make eye contact, and that's the end of it, we are forsaking the gathering of the brethren. It doesn't just mean everybody get in a room, lift your hands, listen to a good sermon, and then go have lunch alone. That's not what Paul's talking about. He's talking about us all, brothers and sisters, becoming a body, being joined together, working together, living together, doing life together. Not me and my family and then them and their family. It's our families together. It's young people. Find other young people that are, that are in the same stage of life and do life with them. Find older people that are, if you want to be a good dad or you want to be a good mom, find a good mom or find a good dad and hang out with them. Do life together. Join with them because there's something about the, the, when people get together, when Christians, believers join forces, and live life and do something as simple as sing a song. God changes stuff in a big way. And it changes lives. It literally changes lives. Paul and Silas together in that cell got the jailer and his entire family saved. Living for eternity with Christ right now. They are up in heaven right now having fun with Jesus, probably watching hockey. I'm just kidding. Jesus is definitely a soccer fan. Or maybe more of a fisher, I don't know. But regardless of what they're doing, they're with Jesus. And it's all because this one, these two guys, they got together and made a small change. Amen? Bow your heads with me. Lord Jesus, we come before you right now Lord, we thank you first and foremost for other people. Lord, we thank you that there is a a ton of people here tonight that we can join with, that we can stand with, that we can go to if we have problems, if we need to be uplifted. We have our brothers and sisters around us, and we thank you that you've provided us with that. Father, you could have stranded us by ourselves and kept us separate, but you said no. It is not good for man to be alone. And you created other people and you brought us together under this, in this beautiful building to serve you as one body. And we thank you for that, Father. I ask as we go out tonight, Lord, that you will seal this word to our hearts. Father, that we will not be constantly looking for the big changes and, and getting discouraged because the big change isn't happening. Lord, will you strengthen us and encourage us to make the small changes, the little changes that can eventually change in a change our lives in a big way. Father, will you strengthen us to do that? Will you encourage us to do that, Father? Jesus, we love you so much. Everything that we do is for you. We love you. We desire you, Lord. You are everything that we want and everything that we need. And we ask, Lord, that as we go out of here, that we will you would just bind our hearts together in a spirit of unity, both to each other, but also to your spirit, Lord. We love you. Jesus, help us look more and more like you every single day. We love you, Father. In your precious name, we ask it. Amen.